Good morning again. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 100. That'll be our sermon text for this morning, Psalm 100. You uh, may know if you've been with us uh, for any amount of time, we've been working through the Psalms little by little. We haven't hit every Psalm, but we've been selecting uh, sort of representative Psalms as we work through the book, trying to get a, a sense of the whole, a feel for uh, the book of Psalms and the, 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 the piety and godliness uh, encouraged in the book of Psalms. So this morning we come to Psalm 100. Before I read that, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you to hear your voice, to receive from you, to be shaped by you and changed by you and drawn near to you. And we pray that you would do that as we read Psalm 100, as we consider what it has to say to us. We pray that you would draw near to us by your spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we would receive your word, that you would shape and mold us into the image of Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified in those things this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Well, we just read in Psalm 136 a moment ago, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 100, like Psalm 136, is an exhortation to give thanks. That is what I want to do this morning. I want to exhort you to give thanks this morning. I have to say, as I thought about this, this is a little bit uncomfortable for me. I'm not so sure that anyone would describe me as a thankful person. I mean, it's not that I'm ungrateful, I I don't think. But I don't exude gratitude. And that was convicting for me. You see, I realized that gratitude and thankfulness, that is one of the chief expressions of our piety. That's so because it is the fundamental stance of being human. Right? When Paul describes the essence of human sin, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. That was one of the worst sins Paul could think of. Giving thanks is the fundamental stance of the creature. You might think, well, why is that? Well, as, as Paul put it elsewhere, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? If everything we have is a gift from God, life and breath, time and toothpaste, relationships and running shoes, if we are to be rightly related to God, our first response every moment must be gratitude. 
To be ungrateful is actually to deny our creatureliness. And to deny our creatureliness is to deny the godhood of God. And so when I say uh, not exuding gratitude is convicting to me, I mean convicting because I often live life functionally denying that I am a creature and God is my creator. And so in exhorting you to give thanks this morning, of course, I'm first exhorting myself to give thanks. Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanks, uh, not especially because of the, the contents. Actually, Bible scholars describe this not as a thanksgiving psalm, but as a praise psalm. They have some, some very specific distinctions. And they do that uh, because the psalmist uh, doesn't describe any event for which he is thankful. But I say uh, this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving because of the heading. It took me a lot of time to figure this out. The, the heading says, a psalm for giving thanks. And so this, it may be a generic psalm of sorts, as it were, to be used anytime you might give thanks to God and confess what he has done for you. So this morning I want to do as this psalm does and exhort you to give thanks. And really I'm going to talk about four exhortations. You can see them in the bulletin, on the back of the bulletin if you want to follow along in the outline there. There are four exhortations, give thanks... Know that the Lord is God and He is good. Come into His presence and offer yourself to the Lord. So exhortation number one, give thanks. When we were little, we were told at Christmas and birthdays, make sure to say thank you. And we should. We should be grateful for what others do for us. But I wonder, though, if you have ever thought about what gratitude is. The dictionary actually doesn't help here. Uh, the, the dictionary defines grateful as appreciative and thankful. And it defines thankful as grateful and appreciative. <laughs> and it defines appreciative as grateful and thankful. You know, just try to think of a definition of any one of those three words that doesn't involve the other two. It's not easy. But here's my best shot. Gratitude is joyfully acknowledging your goodness toward me. It's the joyful acknowledgement by the whole person directed toward the other of the goodness of the other directed toward you. All right, I might have lost you in that one. So just stick with the short version, right? Joyfully acknowledging your goodness toward me. We can make it even more succinct, I think, that, that gratitude is really joyful dependence. Joyfully acknowledging your goodness toward me and therefore my dependence on you for whatever you have provided in your goodness. Hence, joyful dependence. Definitions aside, though, let me ask, do you recognize the goodness of God toward you? Uh, do you realize that, that the givenness of life is not a given? That life and everything in it is a moment-by-moment -moment gift? We are not here by random chance. It isn't luck of the draw. Life every moment is a gift of our creator and sustainer. Now, maybe you recognize that, and if so, then do you acknowledge that goodness? Or is it simply a kind of vague awareness? 
right? Somewhere in the back of your head, you know that all good things come from God, but, but it's not something you think about, not something you acknowledge out loud. Or maybe you do, and, and so, do you acknowledge it joyfully? Does the knowledge of God's goodness toward you stir up rejoicing, or does it stir up resentment? You know, sometimes we accept help from people, but we are not really thankful toward them because we resent having to accept their help. And so we reluctantly and maybe even bitterly receive the kindness of others. Gratitude, though, is the joyful acknowledgement of God's goodness toward you. Are you thankful? And let me, let me plant this in your head right now. Right? What are you thankful for? Right? As, we, as we talk this morning, be thinking about, okay, what, what are the things for which I am thankful? What, what are the ways in which God has been good to me? So that when you give thanks and when you rejoice, you can be specific. Thank you, God, for this. So that's what we're called to do. We're called to give thanks. Okay, how about why? Why, why are we to give thanks? Here's exhortation number two. Know that the Lord is God and He is good. You know, we often assume that joy is found in being our own God, right? Running our own lives, controlling our own destinies, amassing servants to serve our every wish. We don't want to bow our knee to God, and so we deny His authority. We try to play God over our own little kingdoms. Now, I don't think anybody in this room would say that theologically. But we often live that practically, expecting the world to serve us, to conform to our wishes, to bow to our demands. We think red lights should turn green in our presence. At least I do. What happens when we think that we are God? Well, first we try to control. We try to make life go our own way. We, we manipulate and demand and force and pout. And it's exhausting. And when that doesn't work, we get angry. If you think you are God and the world revolves around you, you will experience not gratitude, but entitlement. We think we have a right to an easy life. We think we deserve it. But the psalmist says in verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people. And the sheep of his pasture. God is God, which means God is the creator. I belong to him. I am his. Now, the psalmist might mean something more than I am God's by virtue of creation. Actually, though this is an exhortation to all the earth, verse 1, the language of creation here may refer to God's creating Israel as his special people. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture means we, Israel, are his people. We are his sheep, the ones over whom he tends, cares for, and watches over. God is God, and we are his people, his servants. And this is true, of course, of us in Christ. As God redeemed Israel from Egypt and took them as his own, so God has redeemed us from sin and taken us as his own in Jesus. God is God. We are his people, his servants. And now if you know that, if you know that God is God, suddenly you realize, well, I actually don't deserve anything. God made me. Life is a gift. 
And I'm not in control no matter how hard I try. But I have a shepherd who cares for me, who watches over me. Suddenly I have reasons to, not, to, not to get angry, not to feel entitled, but to give thanks. Life is a gift. God is my shepherd. I can simply receive and rest. Of course, God is not only God. This psalm says that God is good. Verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Now, that good doesn't mean good versus mediocre. Right? It's, not, it's not good versus great. The psalmist isn't saying that God is better than average, kind of like a B+. Plus. This is good versus evil. The psalmist is saying God is morally good, upright, just, righteous. His steadfast love, that is, God's devotion to his people endures forever. God will not give up on his children. His faithfulness lasts to all generations. That is, his commitment to his word will not end. God never goes back on his promises. Not once. God is good. He is devoted to his people. He keeps his word. God is not evil. He can do no wrong. He will not turn his back on us. He will not go back on his promises. God is good. Of course, sometimes not only do we deny God's authority, but we question his goodness. We say things like, how can God be good if we meditate on the struggles in our lives? And we say, this doesn't make sense. But Scripture insists that God is good. Everything God does is good. God can do no wrong. Which means that everything, even the evil in the world, even the bad things and the sad things, God has allowed for His good purposes in your life. And of course, if we're tempted to doubt that, we simply look to the cross. Out of God's goodness, he sent his son. Out of his steadfast commitment to his people, he sent Jesus to bear our sin. Out of his faithfulness to his promises, he worked redemption for us to free us from slavery to sin, bondage to death, and the fear of hell. And God was faithful to Jesus. Though Jesus went to the grave, the Father did not abandon him, but raised him up on the third day, keeping his promise to not abandon his own. And now we know that God does keep his promises. That however many trials we face, we know even though we face death itself, God will remain faithful. His promises are sure. He will not abandon his own, but he will be with us to the end. Even though we go into the grave, we know that death does not have the final word because our God is faithful and Jesus rose. And as Jesus rose, so we who believe in him will rise as well. The resurrection is the sign of God's goodness, the sign of his steadfast love, the sign of his faithfulness. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And so why should you be grateful? I mean, maybe your life is not what you would like it to be. Maybe things haven't gone your way. Maybe, maybe your boss fired you or your wife left you or your teacher failed you. And you're just wondering what's going to happen next. What do you have to be thankful for? Well, the knowledge of our God is what fuels our gratitude. 
knowing that God is God and God is good, that is a, that's a prerequisite for thankfulness. God's grace in the cross is what moves us to gratitude. You know, is, is your heart dull? Is it consistently joyless? Do you find yourself unthankful for God's many, many gifts? Look to the cross where Jesus received what we deserve, hell, damnation, judgment, that we might receive what he deserves, the Father's steadfast love and kindness, even resurrection life. Look to the cross again and again and again until it warms your heart and gives you joy. So what are we to do? We're to give thanks. Why are we to do that? Because the Lord is God and he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. How about where? Where are we to give thanks? Exhortation number three, come into his presence. It may seem like an odd question. I mean, where are we to show gratitude? Everywhere, right? Uh, there's no place that we are not to be grateful. Okay, that's true, but while that is true, I think the question is still relevant because Psalm 100 exhorts us to come to a specific place. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The exhortation is to draw near to God. Now, in the Old Testament, this obviously meant come into the temple. Uh, the gates uh, may have meant the gates of Jerusalem. The courts were certainly the temple courts. And God promised his presence would be in the holy place, that he would meet with his people there. Now, not everyone was allowed in the temple, of course. Uncircumcised Gentiles were not allowed in the temple. Unclean Jews were not allowed in the temple. Uh, even fewer people were allowed into the holy place, the place of real intimate fellowship, only the priests at certain times of the day. And of course, even fewer people were allowed into the most holy place, only the high priest and him only once a year. Even the gates, by the way, uh, according to Psalm 118, are only open for the righteous. One must be righteous in order to enter God's presence. That's, that's, that's more than Jewish, more than clean, more than even being the priest. One must be righteous in the sight of God. And so we have a kind of tension in these verses in the context of the Old Testament. Come into his presence, but not too close. Enter his gates, but only if you're a righteous person coming in the right way. Well, the work of Jesus was for the express purpose of enabling unclean people to come into the presence of the holy God. Jesus came to bear our uncleanness, our sin, our shame. And because of that, Jesus was cast out of the Father's presence. The Father, you remember, uh, turned his back on his Son at the cross, and Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was removed from the presence of the Father on the cross. There, Jesus bore the shame and punishment that our sin deserved. He knew exile for us. But, of course, that wasn't the end of the story. If it were, there would have been no hope. Jesus rose. But that's not the end of the story either. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, back into the Father's presence. 
through the gates of righteousness into the courts of the Lord, into the heavenly throne room of God. Jesus has come into the Father's presence with singing. He entered his gates with thanksgiving for the resurrection. He has entered his courts with praise for not abandoning him to the grave. Jesus has entered and given thanks for God's steadfast love. And we mustn't miss the importance of this, right? Jesus represented us on the cross. We know that. But he didn't stop representing us on the cross. Jesus represented us in his resurrection. Jesus represented us in his ascension. Jesus represents us even now at the Father's right hand. And this means that if we are joined to Jesus by faith, we died on the cross with Jesus. We rose from the dead with Jesus. We ascended into the Father's presence with Jesus. We have been raised and seated with Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 2. And so where is the proper place for gratitude? Well, in the presence of the Father, where we now reside with Christ. We in Christ have come into his presence, so sing. We have entered his gates, so give thanks. We have entered his courts, so praise. What more appropriate place to give thanks to the Father than before the Father's face in heaven? And though we are not physically there, by the way, right? We, we are really there because we are united to Christ. We are in him. And so in heaven. And we will one day, of course, even physically, be in his presence. At the resurrection, when heaven and earth become one, we will stand physically, bodily, raised, restored in the Father's presence. And we will rejoice. And we will give thanks and we will celebrate the Father's goodness and love. And yet, I think there still remains one part of the question where unanswered. So it is good to express our gratitude in the Father's presence, which is in heaven where we are in Christ. But you might ask, well, is there any better or worse place in the present age, right, right here, right now, where we live? You know, we, we seem to think in our day that, that every place is equally holy. Uh, that, that's actually not true. Um, it, it's true that, that we don't have a temple. Uh, there's no single holy place or most holy place as there was in the Old Testament. Uh, but the point of the holy place and the most holy place was that God met with his people there. When God met with Moses at the burning bush, he said, Take off your shoes, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Because God was there. The place God met with Israel uh, throughout the Old Testament was the most holy place. Moses and Elijah later met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, which Peter calls in his second letter, the holy mountain. Why? Because God met with his people there. A holy place is a place that God has set aside for drawing near to the presence of the Father. And I think there are at least two such places today. The first is this room. Uh, this room is a holy place. It is a sanctuary. Uh, I, I know it's Latzer Hall in the YMCA on the campus of the University of Illinois. But, but the moment we set it aside as a gathering place for the people of God, it is now a holy place, not because of the place, not because this room is special, but because of the people. And we can be confident that Jesus will meet with us here because Jesus himself said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there 
am I among them? And while the context of that promise is, is not corporate worship, I think as a general statement, it applies. When we gather together in Jesus' name, he is among us. Here, Jesus meets with us. And so, if you want to put it this way, the church is the holy place. Not the building, but the gathered people of God. And wherever God's people gather in Jesus' name, there Jesus gathers with them in something of a unique way. We know that Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. But he gives us this special promise where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. Somehow uniquely when we gather together. And so we can say, where do we meet with Jesus? Uh, where should we draw near to sing and give thanks and praise? Well, wherever we gather as his people in his name, then and there we gather in his presence. But Hebrews also exhorts us in Hebrews chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus, our high priest, is in heaven and we are in Jesus, we can draw near to the throne of grace. What that actually means is we can pray. Uh, you see, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the throne of grace was the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. And the priests daily offered incense, which represented the prayers of the saints, in the holy place. But the incense prayers were said to go beyond the veil to fill the most holy place with their smoke. And this is how we, even today, penetrate the veil, as it were. We draw near to the throne of grace through prayer. We offer our prayers to our Father, and He hears them in heaven. And so where ought we express our gratitude today? Well, one is in heaven, where we are seated in Christ. Two is in the church, where Christ gathers with His people. And three is in prayer, where we penetrate the veil and enter into the Holy of Holies into our Father's presence. Now, the point is not that you are limited to giving, giving thanks in the presence of the Father. The point is that you are invited to give thanks in the presence of the Father. We are invited to celebrate in the Father's presence. But that brings us to the final point. So what are we to do? We're to give thanks. Why are we to do it? Because the Lord is God and He is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. Where are we to do this? In the presence of the Father, in heaven, in the church, in prayer. Finally, how? How are we to give thanks? The final exhortation, offer yourself to the Lord. We finally come actually to the first two verses of the psalm. Verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. These verses talk about giving thanks with singing and service. Verse 4 adds thanksgiving and praise. And, and I want to sort of organize these things under three headings. Sacrifice, celebrate, and serve. First, sacrifice. It may seem like an odd word to use, sacrifice. Uh, lots of psalms do use that language, uh, but this one doesn't. But we must notice that the two basic things that we're called to do in this psalm, sing and serve, are sacrificial. Hebrews 13, 15 talks about a sacrifice of praise. Uh, Psalm 50 and 107 and 116 talk about sacrifices of thanksgiving. 
To offer our song is to give of ourselves. And, and that's true on the one hand simply because it takes time and effort and energy to sing to our God. And yet it's even more true if we mean what we say. To sing is to declare your faith, your allegiance, your loyalty to the King of Kings. To praise God is to declare that my life is, is not about my life. It's about the glory of another, the glory which I celebrate. To give thanks to God is to pledge allegiance to Him, the King of heaven and earth. A service, too, is sacrificial. Uh, Romans 12.1, right? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, our lives of service, our lives of sacrifice, as we offer ourselves to God day by day. And so we give thanks first by giving ourselves, offering our whole selves up to God. We give thanks to God by offering ourselves sacrificially to Him. Now remember, of course, this sacrifice is not to buy God off. It's not a sacrifice of atonement. We're not, we're not paying for our sins by giving of ourselves. Jesus has already done that in the cross. This sacrifice is an act of thanksgiving, the joyful acknowledgement of God's goodness to us by offering ourselves to Him. And that sacrifice takes two forms. So the next thing, celebrate. Uh, verse 1 begins, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Uh, what, what does it mean to give thanks? Giving thanks is, is this joyful acknowledgement of the goodness of God toward us. Celebration, then, is, is one major expression of our gratitude. When we gather, we gather to celebrate the goodness of God toward us. And in order to do that, we have to stop other things and then celebrate. You know, when you have a birthday party or a wedding reception or, or any kind of celebration, you stop what you're doing and you say, this is important. And you set time aside to celebrate whatever it is you're celebrating. So stop other things and make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth come into his presence with singing see we gather to to celebrate to rejoice to party because of what our God has done and who our God is and this time then when we gather together needs to be a time of celebration I'm not saying that we need party hats and balloons necessarily but we need to be sure that our time is markedly celebratory. Now, now, sometimes we gather to lament, that is true. And the point here is, rather than an emotionless blah, our time needs to be marked by the full range of human emotions, whether lament or, as we're talking about now, celebration and thanksgiving. The joyful acknowledgement of God's goodness to us. Finally, serve. Serve. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. The word serve can mean uh, many things in Scripture. It can mean serve as a priest in the temple. It can mean serve as a servant in a palace. But the point is, our thanksgiving, even if it begins in the gathering of God's people in the church, it doesn't end here. It continues continues on as we go out from here to serve God with our lives. Uh, whether you are a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker, 
a teacher, a lawyer, a firefighter, a postal worker, a garbage collector, a chef, a musician, a student. Your every day is service to your king. As you serve God, that is an expression of gratitude for what he has done. It's not payback, right? It's not, it's not insurance to make sure he really loves me. God loves us because he loves us. His love is secure because of the cross. We serve God not to gain his love, but because we have it. And so we give thanks. And so we serve him with gladness. You know, Paul says in Colossians 2, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That means even if you hate your job, even if you hate your earthly boss, you can do your work with joy because you are serving Christ. Paul says a little more in Ephesians 6. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You are doing your work for Christ. If you wait tables or count pennies or sweep floors, you are doing that for Jesus. If you teach students or cook food or care for the sick or answer phones or stock shelves or drive trucks or build houses, as a Christian, you are to do that for Jesus. Let your work be an expression of your gratitude for Jesus, regardless of your boss or your work environment or the type of work it is. Serve the Lord with gladness in everything you do. So what are we to do? We're to give thanks. Why are we to do it? Because the Lord is God and he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Where are we to do that? Well, we're to come into his presence in heaven, in the church, in prayer. How are we to do that? We're to offer ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Go and celebrate his work and serve him with gladness in all your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would make us more consistently grateful people. We pray that you would make us people who exude thankfulness, that, that we are joyful in your goodness moment by moment. And so to that end, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our eyes to see your goodness in our circumstances, open our eyes to see your fatherly care Open our eyes to see your tender mercies. Open our eyes to see the, the, the little gifts and the big ones. That we would give thanks and sing. That we would rejoice and be glad in who our God is and in what he has done. Father, let it be so. Work in us by your spirit to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.